Welcome to The Readerly Report, a podcast of Readerly Magazine. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So welcome to The Readerly Podcast. Nicole and I are here and ready to discuss a few books that we both read in common this summer. We thought we'd do a little mini book club discussion about three of the books that we read over the course of the summer. Um, It's not terribly unusual for Nicole and I to read the same books because we definitely have overlapping taste, but um, they just happened to coincide that there were three very different books that we each read. So we thought, let's turn this episode into mini discussions. So hello, Nicole. Hi, Gail. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I am proud to say that as of today, I'm like almost caught up on my pace for my yearly goal for books. Really? Yes, which I've been chasing for the last eight months. Okay, so what's your, your goal is 50, right? 52. So 52. A book, a book a week. One a week. One a week. And according to Google, the Google says that we are at week 34 of the year. And, and you've I've, read 34 books? I've read 33. So I'm close. I'm in like amazing. Yeah, I'm in like chomping distance. If you get into a crunch, I have like two short books for you that okay, are good. That's good. That's my usual November <laughs> plea to you to send me a list of short books that I can cram in December. Um, and I know that you're like blowing your goals out of the water this year because I know you've been reading a ton. I hit a hundred books. Oh my with- god. I read The Leavers, and that was my 100th book. Actually, I just finished Stay With Me, which is really good, so that's my 101. Oh, that's on my list coming up. I feel like when you read a lot of books, your tastes get so honed that after a while, you're just kind of bored with certain kinds of things because you've read them. (laughs) Oh, so you're saying like you keep reading the same books over and over again, and you read too many of the same? Or I feel like you have such high hopes for books, but then when you get to them, it's just like, um, I, yeah, you start reading them. You you sort of up the ante with any book you read because, I mean, I feel like we only have a certain amount of plots that we read, you know? There's, like, the right. marriage plot. Yeah. Um, the there friendship. is the There's the, yeah, the friendship plots. There's the I'm returning home because I'm running from disaster and then I'm going to like rekindle some lost love mm-hmm. <laughs> plot. Um, and then there's like the murder plot. So I feel like there's only a certain amount of plots. So I feel like sometimes I read books and it's a book that I know that most people will love, but I've just read so many of them and nothing is new with it. So I'm just kind of like, mm. eh. <laughs> right. I see. So it makes, makes you, um, dissatisfied. It makes you, yeah, it makes you really look for or really appreciate books that are exploring these plots that are, you know, either the language is beautiful or there's a plot twist that somehow you have not run across yet. I mean, like right now, I feel like we're in this big psychopath. Every mm-hmm. everyone's a psychopath, like everybody. <laughs> and I'm like, what just happened to just sort of challenge relationships, flawed characters where someone is not, you know, like a sociopath. Right. I feel like every book is like a sociopath book. Hmm. I think that's, that's true. (laughs) Might it have something to do with who we have in office right now? I don't know. I think we were trending towards that, trending towards that anyway. You know, I I think think that's sort of like a fascination with people because it's such an extreme personality trait. Right. That we're just fascinated with, you know, like people dying or people being murdered, you know, for the most part, knock on wood, we don't encounter that a lot. So I think that books that attempt to get into that or explain that are sort of fascinating, you know, right. No sociopaths in this bunch, though. No sociopaths. You're correct. So that's That's good. And these are these were actually well. Um, with the exception of the windfall. (laughs) All right, let's take them in order. So we've got three books to talk about. One is a novel called The Confusion of Languages by Siobhan Fallon. 
One is another novel called The Windfall by Diksha Basu, I think is how to pronounce her name, I hope. And one is nonfiction called Real American by Julie Lithcote-Hames. Is that her last name? Yes. Yes. So um, why don't we do them in that order? Is that okay? Yeah. All right. So we'll start with The Confusion of Languages, which is the first novel and second book after a collection of stories by Siobhan Fallon, who I have to say liked my Facebook comment the other day where I said I had read her book, which made me really happy. Um, she wrote a book called, you know, when the men are gone, which was a collection of stories about military family life and particularly focusing on the spouses who are back at home. Um, and it's mostly told stateside. And then this book, the confusion of languages is about two women or two couples who are stationed in Jordan and the husbands are in the army and the wives are military spouses. And one of them has been in Jordan for a number of years and one of them is new. And it's about the relationship that grows between these two women. And uh, one of them, Cassie, is older and kind of bitter. She's trying to have a baby and she can't. She's lonely and um, sort of very particular. And then Ma Margaret shows up. And Margaret is young with a baby and kind of naive and doesn't know much about the Middle East and how she should behave herself and doesn't really take the time to learn the proper ways of a Western woman living in the Middle East. But yet at the same time, she's very eager to get out and explore the city. So Cassie spends her days kind of trying to rein Margaret in and Margaret is constantly kind of pushing away at these um, – constrictions that she has so the two of them have this relationship friendship and um when the book opens margaret has kind of disappeared for she's gone to run an errand and has not returned so cassie ends up exploring and you kind of get all these flashbacks of their friendship and exploring um you know what what's happened and where margaret might be so, so this plot is like the classic friendship the, the, this is the classic sort of um, opposite personalities attract friendship book. Yes. You know, kind of talking in terms of the tropes, you know, when I'm saying that everything, you know, there's like five or six different plots and it's just how well is each author doing it when you're approaching the book, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I really like this story. I liked it a lot too. thought it was very well written it's that um, Siobhan Fallon, slightly cold, slightly dispassionate writing, but very detailed and very realistic. I think about friendships and dialogue. I thought that all felt rang, rang very true. Did you think one of them, did you think that one of them dominated more? Like, um, I think that's interesting that you said that the writing was kind of cold and I feel like even though we got to hear both women's point of view, well, I don't know. We got to hear Margaret's point of view from her journal. Correct. Um, but Cassie is sort of the one who's constructing the story, and she's definitely the one that has a colder sort of personality. Yes. Whereas Margaret is sort of more impulsive, and she has the more volatile marriage. Right. Um, well, you get into Margaret's head a little less only because, like you said, the, w the way into her head is through her journal as opposed to through an omniscient observer or omniscient narrator, which is how we hear what's going on with Cassie. Um, I actually thought that the journal was a little bit contrived, that just that construct. I mean, obviously, she needed to get us inside Margaret's head, and that was the way she decided to do it. I just thought it seemed a little like um, convenient. And I don't well, know. I always, right. always have a problem sort of with journals if they're not in real journal sense, because I feel like a lot of times when people use journals in novels, I mean, there's just straight up conversation. There's just stuff in a, in Margaret's journal that would never be in a journal. <laughs> 
right. like pages of he said, she said this, you know, it was not sort of a summary of her thoughts or days, right? Um, which I think speaks to your point of it being convenient because it's just like, oh, let's just go into her life in this way, as opposed to just doing a two person narrative where, you know, you're in Margaret's life and you're, everything is sort of funneled through Cassie. Like it's, she's discovering this journal yeah, and um, you know, there's lots of of there's lots of secrets and lots of um, I guess uh, I don't know, not recrimination, but just a lot of second guessing on what could have happened when and what could have maybe taken the story in a different direction than where it ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the ending? Are we allowed to talk about endings without trying to spoil too much? I don't know. See, this book was so much about their friendship for me, the friendship and their marriages and how those things developed. I don't know. In some ways, I felt like, were you surprised by the ending? Um, I was kind of disappointed by it. I mean, I think we're supposed to wonder what happened to Margaret and is she going to come back? And if she doesn't come back, is it because there's some huge secret happening? And I think that the ending was milder than I expected. I mean, I think that it was like what happens to her is sort of coincidental to the story. It's certainly not um, caused by the story. And that surprised me because I thought, well, this seems like it's really leading to something. It's building up to something that's going to be momentous. Um, On the other hand, I think that that's what made it more real for me. That it wasn't Uh, some contrived Hollywood thing. That it wasn't because I think, yeah, I think that sometimes a lot of times we, you know, it just kind of goes into what's very human nature is that we always think that we play a much bigger part in other people's stories than we necessarily do mm-hmm. or it's almost like that there's that there's that thing that's just like you know the thing that you worry about is not even the thing that you had to have worried about <laughs> it's something else and I thought it was a little bit of that I don't know I but I did I just did feel like it was just very abrupt to me like there was so much exploration and so much going on and then all of a sudden it was just like boom it was done uh i think that's valid i I can i can see where you're coming from with that i mean then it all wraps up extremely fast there's like three more pages and then that's the book is done right yeah that's kind of like i probably would have liked a little bit more exploration around that ending or whatever but it's just kind of like you find out what happens and you know and then there's like an epilogue Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of development, but because I liked the relationship so much and because I liked um, how Siobhan Fallon is able to get you into what it's like to be a military life and what it's like to make these adjustments and um, what goes on in, you know, what goes on in your marriage when you're trying to make these adjustments overseas. Right. It was such a satisfying book in that respect. And I feel like that's the bulk of the book. That, totally you know, agree. Totally, the ending totally was just agree. kind of like, eh, you know, right. maybe I was surprised. Maybe it didn't need to end in that way. But I feel like it doesn't detract from such a beautiful story. Right. I totally agree. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with military marriage books. I just find them really interesting. Um, and uh, <laughs> And I think you're right. The details about expat life and the strain on a marriage, especially when the wives are in Jordan and then their husbands get called to Rome. And so they're alone in Jordan and their husbands aren't even there. And Um, just the culture difference and just how, you know, like how these two different personalities deal with the rules and like, you know, if you're a rule breaker or a rule follower, how does that affect your experience and how does that affect your relationship when you, I guess, handle handle culture and society in such different ways. Right. Yep. Totally agree. I, and, and that's what I loved so much about her short stories. Cause it really gave you so many perspectives because there were a lot of different stories told by different, you know, different setups. And 
I, I loved them. I think I liked the stories better than I liked this book, but I liked this book a great deal. So I'm still, you know, still really glad I read it. She's a deaf, I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah. We'll definitely read whatever she decides to write next. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So that was book number one, Siobhan Fallon, the confusion of languages, which I think came out this summer sometime. So it's definitely out right now. If you want to read it. Yeah. Um, okay. Book number two, windfall. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Basu. Why don't, do you want to go ahead and sum that one up? All right. So, um, the windfall is about, uh, this family in India. Where are they living? You have to Delhi. remind me. Delhi. They're living in Delhi. They're living in Delhi and the father sells his internet business. So suddenly they have a whole bunch of money and they decide to live their, leave their middle-class community and move to like an upscale development. Now that they've got all of this money. Right. They're going, they're going for the fabulous life. <laughs> all right. They move from Meyer Polly to Gurgaon. Can you tell I did this one on audio? <laughs> <laughs> right, because you know all the pronunciations. I know all the pronunciations. Yes, Baldwinder and Mrs. Mr. And that's Mrs. the lovely Stock. thing about that's the lovely uh, thing about audio is that you sort of you know all these all these words and phrases and whatever that you kind of assign your own um, pronunciation and meaning. Right, right. <laughs> you have some sort of idea of what it really should sound like. Yes, true. Um, okay. So Mrs. Ja and um, I don't know. So I think we've, we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before. I thought it was really, I mean, I like the premise. I love, I love the, this has happened that suddenly changed your life. And how does it, um, how do you change? How do you flow with that? Um, I think it's always interesting when you have money, you know, especially, especially now when sort of things can be static with money, but some people have the experience to make these great changes. And how do they do that? You know, they go from being very middle class or whatever to having the opportunity to pursue this other kind of life. And you get a chance to see sort of what people have been experiencing that and, people trying to keep a hold of what it is they have. So I just felt like this had a, a lot of potential to be a really interesting story. And it was super light for me. Yes. Um, I completely agree. I actually, I'm actually was angry at this book by how much I didn't like it. I thought the character was not a single likable character in the book with the exception of, a, of Mrs. Ray of Mrs. Ray. And, and even Mrs. Ray, though, her story was a little Cinderella-y, but I, I thought these characters... I forgave her because at least I liked her. <laughs> at least you liked her, right. So Mrs. Ray is their neighbor who's a widow, and she sort of discovers love in her mid-40s and gets a new kind of new lease on life. But back to the main characters, Mr. and Mrs. Jaw, who move from Meyer Pollock to Gurgaon, um, they, were, they were so vapid. And all they talked about was material stuff. They, like, there was one time in the book where he engaged his wife in some conversation that was something a little deeper about, like, mortality. And it lasted for, like, two sentences. But for the most part, the whole book was about this, you know, impressing the neighbors, impressing the old neighbors, impressing the new neighbors, fitting in spending money. They go to New York. They have this son who lives in New York. He's going to uh, graduate school in the United States. He fails out because he doesn't study. The, I, I don't know. The, I, I was irritated by this book so much. I just wanted it done. And I, I was so frustrated, like you said, by the potential that was here for a really interesting story that was like 5% achieved. Like it, it just, it felt to me like it, it so missed the mark and there was very, very little redeeming about it. It wasn't even like interesting about India. Well, you didn't get a lot of a really too much of a sense of it. I mean, there's a couple of times, any, any, any interesting moment, I think that 
gives some more insight into the culture, I feel like comes through Mrs. Ray and how she's in her transition from a widow, you know, who I think the expectations of the community would be that her life is over and her trying to step out and branch outside of that. So we get to see some dates that she goes into and, you know, even when they're at the market and she's buying things, I feel like any kind of real culture always comes through her. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I mean, even though I felt I felt like it was super annoying, I mean, I just do feel like there are so many people who, if they do get a whiff of any kind of money, these are going to be the things that they, these are going to be the things that they want to pursue. You know, yeah, I, I didn't think true. it, you know, so on the one hand, I was raging against it, but then on the other hand, it's just like, yeah, but you know, people who are like this, you know, who it is about, um, the next thing. I mean, one of the most ridiculous things is just like when Mr. Ja, he decides that he wants his own shoe shiner right? (laughs) and he wants to have one in his house. And then, you know, his neighbor says something. So now he's trying to take his shoe shiner back or whatever. Unfortunately, I think with people is that it can be difficult. I think it's a struggle for some people to have their own opinions and do whatever it is that they want to do. And I think that came through really strongly in this book that everyone's just trying to figure out, Oh, what do they have? And you know, Oh, their maid has uniforms. So my mate needs uniforms. It's such a keeping up with the Joneses to the extreme. Right. So on the one hand, it's just like, Oh, my God, these people. But on the other hand, it's just like, mm, yeah, that's sort of the direction that people go in. Yeah, that's true. Although I felt like that was like the theme of the entire book was just keeping up with the Joneses. There wasn't, there was no soul searching. These sons, both their son and their neighbor's son were both like pretty awful people. They were like just living off their parents' money. They had no ambition. They were doing drugs or drinking they were driving drunk and like not even there was no conscience and i'm like what i don't know in this day and age I, it felt it felt so unbelievably vapid and there was no message behind the book i mean it was just completely frivolous i also thought it was extremely poorly edited like there was so much repetition and mr jaw would say the same thing over and over again about oh now i you know now this life is so different or mrs jaw about you know what it's like to be away from her old neighbors i just oh i was so frustrated and i was doing it on audio so i couldn't skim i mean i just had to like get through it yeah um, i think that that's probably what made it probably five times worse for you i mean i i read it right so you could just dispense with it quickly So, yeah, I think sometimes, and then we've talked about that with audio, how you're just so much more present, like each word that's repeated more than once or each anything is just super, super annoying. Um, And it was pretty annoying. So thank God I didn't do it on audio. (laughs) That's all I have to say. I just think there was so little redeeming about this book. I can't recommend it at all. You know, it, it, it just... To me, it was really disappointing. See, this is why I stay away from things that are described as comic. Yeah. I can see that. Although sometimes books that are described as funny are actually funny, but this one, not so much. Right. Well, yeah. It's a risk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be don't be taken in by the 50s font or 60s font cover, which was quite cute. Yeah. Because Well, I mean, if you if you like super light, super rich. Okay, well, let me just say, I haven't read Crazy Rich Asians or any of the following books. My understanding is that it's about super rich, you know, super rich and it's super light, but I've heard that those are actually really funny. This one I don't think was funny at all. Yeah, not really. I don't know. I think I think that in the beginning I had higher hopes for it, for it, you know, I think, okay, so that's sort of funny. It's sort of funny that they're in this situation, but I think that as it progresses and like you said, there's no heart or there's no depth or they don't seem to learn anything. Right. I think by the end, they're just all like, oh yeah, we're just going to hang out together. 
yeah it yeah yeah i, I know nothing more i know to say. nothing more i can say about it it was harder on gail because she listened to it <laughs> <laughs> the curse of audio but i can't <laughs> i can say gurgaon and meyer Polly, so that's good well yeah i mean look you've got all this like hip indian pronunciation yeah that's right okay so we have one more to discuss um which is very different from the other two. It's called Real American and um, by Julie Lithcote Haynes or Hames. And it is uh, a collection of essays, really, a memoir collection of essays by a woman who grew up biracial in the United States. She's about maybe 50 or early 50s. Um, African-American father, white mother, grew up in a couple of different places, including um, a town in Wisconsin where she was one of the only African-American kids. So she kind of had that type of upbringing where she wasn't um, exposed to other black kids. And then she goes off to college and law school and goes to work as a lawyer and um, ends up living in as I'm ultimately leaving the law and living in California and working as a administrator at Stanford, which is what I think what she's still doing now. And so each of these essays, some of which are extremely short, like even just a couple paragraphs or even a few lines. And then some of them are a few pages long address some, it's kind of roughly goes chronologically through her life, talking about growing up and talking about life now. So um, I have very strong feelings about this book, and um, I would be curious to hear yours as well. And I, um, I mean, I'll just start out by saying I thought it was extremely powerful, and I feel like everyone in this country should read that book. So what, was, what did you think of it? Well, anytime that anyone wants to be so honest in talking about their inner feelings and how they felt about things and their own, what they've absorbed, absorbed from culture and, and how it's contributed to their own self-loathing is going to be super powerful. Mm -hmm. I love the way it was just sort of like getting to look at different cultural events through a different lens. Like she'll mention things that happen with her father and how he experienced going to college and how that shaped him and some of the things that he said to her that shaped her and just, I don't know, different watershed events going on in the history. You know, like at one point she mentions the challenger, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just so many things. It's just interesting because I have a different perspective. I mean, she grew up in a time when she felt like she was the only one. And she pioneered so many things that that we take for granted today in terms of how people are educated, you know, like the programs that are in place to help integrate different cultures in college. You know, she's a she was the dean of of student or the dean of freshmen at Stanford. So so many of the things that I sort of grew up taking for granted were the things that she had no access to. Mm hmm. And it just goes to show it, it really is powerful to have to have people that look like you that are, you know, that are doing things that can provide a path. Mm -hmm. She was just so fearless in how she approached her writing. Yeah. Her fearlessness in her writing and her fearlessness in being honest with herself in order to affect different changes because, you know, she ended up marrying a white man. So just even her narrative around her daughter and her son and how, you know, her, her son is darker skin than her daughter is. And her daughter seems to be of a shade that she could actually pass for white and just her feelings around that. It was, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's a really powerful book. The parts that hit me the most were really the parts at the end. Um, she talks a lot about her son and her fears for her son. And she goes through a lot of the recent, um, killings, police brutality killings and police shootings that have led to the Black Lives Matter movement. And she talks about how scared she is for her son, the talks she has to have with him, um, 
I mean, God, there was this one page that I read. It was just like about, you know, we want, it's just talking about sort of like being black and black. What, what do black people want? What do black families want? And she's like, you know, we want to go swimming in the summer and get lemonade and, you know, go to restaurants such and have ba- ice cream. Such basic, basic, basic things. things. And that's her point that like, that like you just can't understand. I mean, I'm white, so I can't understand what, what the perspective she's coming from, which is why well, I found this book so powerful is just to hear this perspective, but about, um, you know, that she's just like, we just want the same things as everyone else. And yet we face so many hurdles to get there because of all of this racism and, um, just the fear of, of, you know, the, the, God, there was this other passage that was so, um, I guess she said she was reading, oh, I know she read an article by this woman who has five kids, like three are white and two are black or two are white and three are black, something like that. And she says, this woman is saying, like, I see this on a daily basis, the difference in how my two kids, my kids are treated. Like the white kids don't get questioned at security. The white kids, if they, if I'm with them in a restaurant and I give them a credit card to go buy the food while I go to the bathroom, when I come back, the white kids won't be questioned by the cashier. Whereas my black kids will have to, you know, explain, oh, my mother's in the bathroom, like just on and on and on about the different treatment. And I think when you're white, you don't think about it. You don't know it. You don't live it. You don't, you just, you know, you can go through life and not have to face this stuff. And I just, well, my question to you is that her language is she's very strong. It's very strong language. Did you feel like, how did you feel when you were reading? I mean, she has lots of, you know, she accused, she has accusations towards herself mm-hmm. for how she related to people in her life or how she related to her dad. She had really strong words for her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she had really strong language in confronting her own issues. Um, how did you feel like reading that or reading that anger? Like, did it, did I feel like, did it, was it disturbing for you? I mean, it seems like you got it. Oh, not disturbing. I mean, disturbing in that I'm like, Jesus, I need to like understand this. Like I need to, I was very moved by it. I certainly wasn't, um, taken back by, oh God, no, not at all. No. I mean, I think like, that's the point is you have to read this book with an open mind and you have to say, I need to understand what this person's perspective is. And no, I was not the least bit offended. I was, I was, I felt guilty. I felt like I'm guilty of these things. I'm guilty of the ignorance of not knowing that this is what her life is like, you know? And, um, you know, it's interesting, like in some ways she and I are similar. Like we both went to Harvard law school. We both moved to San Francisco. We both tried to practice law. We both left it for something we loved, you know, and I I feel like there was like this sort of middle period of that book where her and my life dovetailed. I mean, she was even in San Francisco in the years that I was in San Francisco. So, you know, there was a lot I could relate to with her, but then our lives are so different. I mean, I don't have, I don't carry this burden of like self-identity. I don't carry this burden of fearing for my kids in terms of the color of their skin and how that will impact them. Um, so no, I certainly wasn't taken aback by it. If anything, I just felt like God, it was like eye opening. It was so moving. And that's why I feel like everyone needs to read this book because like, well, I wish that everyone could take it like that because I feel like I just read, um, I just read between the world and me recently. Mm, I've not read um, that yet. And it was just sort of similar, you know, historical perspective, you know, Tan. Ta-Nasi Coates talking to his son about what his expectations could be, the hopes that he has for his child, but at the same time trying to prepare him for a world that could be hostile or, you know, where your life is in danger. Mm-hmm. And just sort of reading some of the comments about this book is that a lot of people just thought it was really angry or that there was no hope. And I didn't take that away from the book. It's just like he has had all these experiences. I mean, these experiences are a valid point of view and it's what he's lived. I didn't feel like it was hopeless. Mm -hmm. So 
the fact that some people can read about different experiences and think that things are hopeless is just sort of, I don't know. I feel like it's missing the point. Well, I don't know how anybody could read this book. I can't speak to the Ta-Nehisi Coates book, but I don't know how you could read Real American and in any way accuse her anger of being unjustified. Her anger is so justified. Yeah, she's angry. She has every right to be angry. She should be angry. It makes me angry on her, on, you know, makes me angry too at the situation. And I, I don't in any way begrudge her the anger. Um, and I don't think her book was hopeless either. I think she has a lot of hope. I mean, I think she's a lot of fear, but also a lot of hope. Um, and I think she, it was interesting the way she kept coming back to her husband, her husband being white and how, and that choice that she made, the choice that she made to marry him and how on the one hand, I think she's so conflicted about it and she feels like. She didn't provide her children or her, particularly her son with a black male role model. She, you know, has this daughter who could pass for white. Um, she's really conflicted because he, because she's basically created mixed race children just as she was a mixed race child and has all those issues with it. Um, but what I liked was that she just kept coming back to the fact that she's like, but I love him and he loves me and he loves you know, my, my being black and she loves my children being black. And she was very, um, generous towards him. And I feel like that in some ways was also part of the hope message, which is just like, okay, but here you can actually have relationships, you know, these biracial relationships and not all white people are evil. And like, so I, I sort of felt like her continually pointing back to her husband was a positive, very positive part of the book. Yeah, because I think that there is a lot of trying to maintain that relationship and, you know, feel loved and supported and feel okay in loving him and supporting him in an environment that is not, you know, that can be hostile. Right. And especially when they have different perspectives, because I think he's sort of coming from what you're saying. I was not aware of this. I don't know the things that happen. Like there's that part when they first start to date and, you know, she is picking up on the vibes of different people and he's just sort of oblivious walking down the right. street. Like, right. <laughs> he doesn't even know that there's anything that he should be looking for because, right. or when they go on that boat and, and they're like, Oh, she didn't pay. Right. When they're on the fishing boat and she's together. With his whole family and the boat, guy basically right. accuses how can you her miss that? <laughs> yeah boat guy accuses her together mm-hmm. yeah and how they have to have a secret symbol that she can like hold his hand in a certain way which means be careful somebody's looking at us the wrong way and he's like just walks through having no concept yeah it was like i don't know i mean you can see why i hated the windfall because i was reading it in tandem at the same time i was reading this book i was listening to the windfall on audio and reading this one and this was just nothing but substance. And the windfall was just like a poof in the air. Right. And I was like, God, between these two books, I mean, you just, this one, well, I that's just. One thing that you have to be careful with in reading, like sometimes even with good reads, I don't rate things right away because everything mm. is in context when you're reading it. Yeah. So if you're reading something like this, that has so much depth and is so heart wrenching and so like, you know, when she realizes that professor that she idolizes is actually biracial or he's black and she's like blown away by that mm-hmm. and just how honest she is in terms of how to locate herself within black culture. You know, the fact that she really did not feel like she had a place where she was accepted. And, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of this is um, on the microcosm. It is about you know, whatever your particular circumstances are and how you were brought into this world and how you relate to your family. And then in the macrocosm, it's just sort of like about there's things that we all feel uncomfortable about. And how do you, I don't know, how do you find yourself in that or push through that or become this person that that you want to be in spite of whatever it is that's crippled you or your insecurities or, you know, it mm. just works on so many levels. Yeah. Well, I highly recommend this book. I feel like I want my kids to read it. Like I, I just, I, I thought it was really well done and I applaud her for her honesty because there's a lot of things she says in there, which are 
you know, difficult. Difficult to admit, difficult to say, hurtful to people she loves. Hurtful to herself. Hurtful to herself. To realize those things about herself. Right. So um, I, I liked it a lot. You know, and I feel like people talk a lot about, you know, you always hear things about what's a book that changed your life or whatever. Mm-hmm. I could see this on that list. Yeah. And that, you know, and for me, those books are just kind of like a book that's changed my life, you know. But yes, when you see someone who is just confronting things so head on and is so truthful, it does make you kind of think about your own life and how you want to confront your own truth or stand in your own truth. Right. I think it's funny when I get asked that question, like, what's a book that changed your life? I always quote this book, Nickel and Dimed, which is by Barbara Ehrenreich, and it's about just trying to live in this country on minimum wage and, you know, for the millions and millions of Americans who get by cleaning hotel rooms or working as housekeepers or, you know, working in big box stores or whatever they are. I remember reading that book and just feeling like, wow, like I have it so easy and I have it so good compared to so many people. And I thought about that for so long afterwards and, I would put this book in that same category. It's these eye-opening books that remind you how other people's perspectives are very different from yours, but how they're, they have the same goals and they're the same, you know, they have the same emotions that you have. And exactly, it's just a different, you know, they live a very, very they live a lot of challenges that you don't have. So um, I would put this book right next to that on the shelf of like books that changed my life. I just, you know, I, I will keep this book and you know, look at it often. If I don't read it, I'll certainly look at it and think about it and push it on anyone who will will take it and read it. Is this going to be the new, the heart? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the heart is different. You know, that's a good story. Well, actually the heart, um, just in terms of your evangelism, evangelism. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, in some ways they're similar. The heart takes that process that, you know, it's a kind of another like hidden thing that we don't think about a lot, this whole kind of organ donation and thinking about the different perspectives that happen when somebody dies. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's such a different book, but yes, I will, I will evangelize Well, that's what I love about fiction is like, there is so much that I don't think about a lot. You know, there's so many experiences. There's so many things that people are going through that you actually have no idea. You know, when they talk about fiction enhancing empathy or making you just a more empathic person. Yes. So many things that I learn. you know, that history books, facts, figures, you kind of just gloss all over them, but fiction and good narrative nonfiction, good books like this book or real American that we're talking about, just put a face on things and make experiences more personal. Just like, um, the locker incident with her, you know, in, in high school and how she never told anyone about that, you know, so not to spoil you, spoil people for like everything that goes on in the book, but there's just so much. Mm-hmm. There is. I, yeah. And I think it was just so easy to, because like you said, Gail, some of the stories are super short. We're talking about two sentences or three words. And then some of them are like four or five pages of, um, material at a time, but it was just sort of just couldn't put it down. It's just like, Oh, I just want to read like this next section mm-hmm. and then this next section. <laughs> right. I agree. I mean, considering it's a memoir of someone's life, that's not like, you know, I mean, she's lived an interesting life, but it's not like, uh, you know, great travels and adventures. It was, it, I thought it was extremely hard to put down. Like I really liked reading it. So in defense of the windfall, (laughs) we did read it into, you know, like the context of this was just like two really great books about like deep things that are affecting our country right now in terms of, I mean, both about race and both about how we interact with different, you know, how cultures are interacting. Um. So in the midst of that, the windfall just had a tough, tough time. <laughs> yeah. The windfall, the decks, the decks were stacked against it, but <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, anyway, 
Okay, well, we've we've gone long today um, with our mini book club discussions. So I'm glad that I didn't finish the fourth book that we had talked about reading for today because we wouldn't have had time for it. Um, but super quick, what are you reading right now? Uh, okay, so I am listening on audio. People want to know these things. Apparently. I know. Okay, so people want to know. I'm listening to a book we picked up at BEA, at least I did, I don't know about you, called The Misfortune of Marion Palm. Oh, yeah. I started that. You started it and put it down because you didn't like it, or you just are still reading it? No, I'm still reading it. Oh, okay. You yes. know how I read like a billion things at once. Yeah. Okay, well, good. Maybe we can add that to our another, <laughs> another book discussion. Um, what's really funny is that um, something really similar just happened in our school. Like some, really? Yes. Somebody what? embezzling? Yes. <laughs> wow. So somebody, I know it's crazy. So somebody um, embezzled money from our um, our like PTA. It just came out a week and a half ago, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I have a book that's the same plot. It's not it wasn't quite as much money, but is that what made you start to read this? Um, it was. I don't know if you remember. It was actually on my summer reading list, so." No, but it did it bump it up a little faster, possibly. Also because I had it on audio and I was having issues transferring files from my computer to my phone and I finally f- got that resolved. So all of a sudden I had a bunch of audiobooks to pick from and this was one of them and I had wanted to read it and then this happened in <laughs> in my like not very large school neighborhood. So um, I'm like now I'm fascinated to get in the head of like somebody who does that. An embezzler. An embezzler, yes. And that's exactly what this book is. So I just started it like yesterday and I'm about 30 or 40 pages in on audio. So um, that's what I'm doing on audio. And then I just started a book that uh, I'd wanted to read for a while and had had it on hold from the library and just came in called, what is that book called? I just told you I'm reading it. The Jill Santapolo book. I've already forgotten. Oh, the, name the, of it. the light something. Oh, the light we lost. Right. The light we lost. Yeah. So I read like four pages this morning before I left for work because I just was curious and it sounded good. But I, who knows? This could be an overblown. This is one of those like, like soulmates in college. Then they get, you know, circumstance pushes them apart, and then their lives move on in different directions, but they never forget each other. But it's set. It start. It starts out on nine eleven in New York, and um, I don't know. I just I'm intrigued by it. It doesn't look like it'll take me that long to read. So that's what I'm reading now, and then hopefully I'll get to the levers after that. How about you? <laughs> okay, so I'm reading the fu- fu- the futilita- futilitarians. I mean, gosh, that's so hard to say. So it's about this um, this woman who forms um, an, an existential reading group. Um, with a bunch of her friends, she's from New Orleans and she has twin sisters. Like she comes from a big family. She comes from a family of eight. Um, there's two sets of twins in the family, I believe. And one set of twins kills themselves about a year and a half apart. And then her dad dies of pancreatic cancer, like a year after that. So she's experienced all this loss in her life. She's married a man who has a young child whose wife had died probably, I don't know, a year, a year and a half before they met. So they're in this place of grief and they come to, you know, and they're in New Orleans post-Katrina. I think this, the reading group takes place in the year of 2012. And so it's a bunch of friends who set out to read all of these existential texts that are supposed to shed um, meaning and direction to how you should live your life. And so she's talking about the suicide of her two sisters and how it affects her. It's very erudite in some places, but, you know, I don't know. There's just so much going on about the culture of the rebuilding after Katrina. And, you know, she finds herself a stepmother to, um, her husband's child and she finds herself pregnant right after that. There's just so much going on so much about life and so much commentary around these, um, I guess some, some obscure texts, definitely nothing that would be in circulation now. But so, so I don't know, it's sort of like a scholarly mix with heart that I'm really enjoying. 
And um, then The Misfortune of Marion Palm is in the mix. Um, I just finished, like just finished, like 10 minutes before we started report- recording this podcast, um, Stay With Me by Adabame Adabayo. Oh, that's excellent. That was uh, the book I was choosing between on audio. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that you liked it because that'll be probably next up for me on audio. Yeah. And it's a really, I listened to it mostly on audio today. Like it, well, you know, the way we get audios when they're review copies, the way they're broken up, sometimes it's like six minutes here and six minutes there, Yeah, which really made it easy for me to kind of do something and then listen to six minutes and then another eight minutes. And before I knew it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then of course I had the copy that I had picked up from BEA. So like the last 20 pages I read and, um, yeah, if you read that, we will definitely have to we'll have to book club it and Marianne Palm because interesting discussions there. Good. Okay. All right. Well, this is a, a marathon episode for us, so thanks for hanging in there all the way to the end. And uh, if you've read any of these books that we've discussed, we'd love to hear what you think of them. So please go on our Facebook page or send us emails at. Um, Nicole, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. Either the readerly report at uh, readerlymag.com or either of our names, Nicole or Gail, G-A-Y-L-E at readerlymag.com. One of these days I'll remember those email addresses. Um, In the meantime, happy reading to everybody and we'll be back soon with a fall preview. Happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com, and you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com, and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep reading.